1: So, hi Stephen Glover, welcome to the Press Gazette uh, Journalism Matters podcast. Thank you. Um, great to have you on. Um, founder of The Independent, uh, economist for Daily Mail, and to talk about your uh, fantastic novel. It's your first novel, is it? It's my first novel, yeah. yeah. Splash, um, which um, consciously, or, not, or unconsciously, I don't know, it seems to me like a sort of sequel to scoop uh updated for the uh, era of um, clickbait online journalism and the rather more desperate age we live in now compared to uh, uh, the, the age that uh, war was writing about i mean is that is that a fair description or what, what, what kind of inspired it
2: um i don't think it was inspired by scoop i mean scoop's always been one of my favorite novels although i haven't read it for a long time actually, until until recently after after um this was finished um yeah, I guess it's got... I mean, obviously Scoop is a fantastically funny and brilliant novel, so in a way it's, it, it's uh, presumptuous to mention them in the same breath. But um, I guess that... Um, I mean, one difference is I was amazed in rereading Scoop, which I actually only reread last week, just how much... Um, how how relentlessly uh, war satirises all journalists. It doesn't matter who they are, whether they're upmarket journalists or or tabloid journalists, and uh, the, the the satire is relentless. Uh, I mean, The foreign editor, Mr. Salter, he's a guy who say, says uh, up to Point Lord Copper can't even find Reykjavik on the map, and uh, uh, the, the the foreign correspondents in 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 Africa where William Boot goes. Um, uh, all either um, untrustworthy or um, unpleasant, or there, there isn't really there isn't really a decent a decent journalist mm. in, in the whole of in, in the whole of scoop, and this doesn't stop journalists loving scoop. <laughs> uh, interestingly, uh, but it's not just that the journalists are, are all in some way um, uh, unrespectable unres- un- 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 uh, figures in War's view. It's that the whole process of journalism in War's view seems to be. Um, Kind of worthless. He, I mean, although although he, he you know he wrote happily for the, for the Daily Mail and, and other newspapers when they paid him well. I don't think he really liked journalism. I don't think he really, I don't think he thought that journalism was anything worth worth defending. And I guess I take a slightly different view.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it's. Yeah, really enjoyable. I, I, I think it compares compares well. It's a similar in a similar sort of vein to, to Scoop, and I think it compares compares well when reading it. Um, yeah, and the and the it's quite affectionate, isn't it? The uh, the journalists are uh, heroes, really, aren't they? Even the kind of uh, rather sadistic um, deputy editor is kind of like you know he's a good journalist anyway. And the...
2: yeah, he's a good journalist anyway. Um, I mean, he's a pretty uh, unpleasant character. You wouldn't want to get the wrong side of him. Um and there's a you know there's a there's a, 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 a pompous columnist and um, called Adam Pride and and the hero um, Sam Blunt is a uh, you know a far from admirable figure. It's quite difficult to like him. You know he's always drinking and uh, he's a misogynist. Um, but basically his heart is in the right place. And <laughs> what he has got in his favour is that he's brave and he wants he wants to find out the truth of things and. Um, um, you know, journalism needs people like that
1: I mean, to, w- to what extent is it kind of um, uh, Inspired by uh, real events As it were, or real, real things It's certainly not inspired by a real events I mean, it's a kind of fantasy I
2: mean, it's a, it, You know, it's a kind of caper uh, Which is on kind of uh, In a way An unrealistic level um, In that sense, like Scoop, I guess But um, I think I can honestly say That none of the characters are based upon Any single character um, that really is the case. As for the newspapers, I mean, for sort of for, for, for the sake of simplicity, there are only four papers mentioned here, whereas I can't remember how many daily papers there are, 10, 11. Um, so there are only four here. There's the, there's the bugle where our hero works and around which the action turns. There's the daily dazzle, which is a sort of down-market paper. There's the, there's the Chronicle, which is a kind of upmarket paper, and there's the Financial Gazette, which kind of speaks for itself, and all those papers, I guess, have a kind of a, amalgam of 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 other of other papers in them, but they're not based upon
1: any 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 um, any existing paper. And how did you sort of find the process of writing a novel after so much uh, journalism, so much factual writing for all, for all these years? Um, it was odd and strange, um,
2: and um, I mean, I suppose the strange thing is it's just the, the, the sheer distance of it. I mean, it's not—it's a, I think it's about seventy thousand words, which is what um, I guess about sort of seventy columns or something. Yeah. And it's, and and you've got to pace yourself differently, and of course you've got to learn an awful lot. And you know, it's, it didn't just kind of drop out of the sky into the book. It was—you know—had to be improved and edited and so forth. But, um, you know, I've always been interested in novels, so I guess it wasn't, it
1: wasn't, it wasn't that bizarre. Hmm. So you were still writing the um, weekly column for the for Daily Mail. Yeah. And monthly media column for the oldie. That's right, yeah. Um, I think you might be the last regular national press media commentator left, I can't think of any else, but Greenslade occasionally
2: writes. Uh, there's, uh, there's Ian Burrell writes a column in I. In I. Of course, yeah. Um, but there are re-
1: People who write about the media have become rather an endangered uh, yeah, species in the national it's press. It's
2: true. They've gone out, well, it's also Peter Preston and the Observer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they have kind of gone out of fashion. I mean, I think media commentators, because they inevitably write about other paper, cause editors a lot of grief. Mm. And editors get uh, if if, uh, if uh, uh, an editor um, is responsible for a media columnist, he's going to get criticised by other proprietors and other editors and other columnists because you know, if you write a media column, you're bound to you're bound to criticise somebody at some stage, and and editors and proprietors don't. Um, necessarily like that. I think that's one factor which is which is I mean I remember the Roy Greenslade um, this is probably largely forgotten, but at some stage back in about two thousand and three, two thousand and four, after Madame McClellan became chief executive of the Telegraph, I think he started writing media column for the Telegraph mm-hmm. briefly, but it didn't work out But I think for that reason that they that they, they didn't like um, the kind of blowback which you get um, having a media columnist on payroll.
1: I think you had a similar experience as well, didn't you? The Spectator
2: with Boris Johnson at one stage? Yeah, I wrote a, a media column for The Spectator, I've got a very, very good memory, yeah. for about uh, I think about nine years, actually. And then, um, I mean, uh, yeah, at, at the end, uh, he wouldn't publish something, which I'd written about the Telegraph, and um, it was only a tiny little item, it was quite innocuous, and the way these things can blow up. And I said, well, if you won't publish it, I'll resign, so I resigned. Um, probably, you know, in retrospect, stupidly, uh, because The Spectator was a great place to write, but that, that was the reason he... he um, Because The Spectator, of course, then as now, was owned by The Telegraph.
1: So the, the book paints are rather... Well, not bleak, but a fairly realistic portrayal, I'd say, of the current national press. And the fact that the, the, the paper the main protagonist works for is about to lose money, it's about to be sold to some uh, Chinese billionaire. Yeah. Um, what, what do you make of the current scene? As somebody who's obviously been in journalism a long time, are you concerned about the future of um, newspapers and the future of journalism?
2: Yeah, I, I, I am. I am concerned, and and it is certainly it is certainly a, is certainly a, a book is about um, a once incredibly successful paper, which is which is struggling in the, in the digital world. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I sort of exist on two levels. I have one kind of. I'm generally generally quite an optimistic person, and you know, in, in a in a ever ever more complicated world where politicians and and, and, and people working with the government aren't getting any more honest, you would think you have as much um, need as ever for, for a powerful um, press which can hold people um, to account and so on. And there's that need there and the, the readers want it. It's just a question of the form it will come in and whether, whether in the digital world um, whether, whether the, the digital will be able to deliver journalism of the kind of quality that we have been used to having for the last... Minute. I don't know, 200 years, and obviously the the jury's out on that. Uh, readers have a, we know this that readers have a completely different attitude uh, towards a lot of what they read online, and uh, the idea of the old, you know, one one or two daily newspapers which which you might take is that's that's almost part of history. Well, that's going a bit far, but it's becoming it's becoming part of history, and then there is a problem about whether. The digital, the digital newspapers are ever going to be able to generate enough income to support the kind of journalism which traditional newspapers have, and it's not clear that they will. Um, but having said that, you know somebody will find a way. It's just, it's just, it's just not possible at the moment
1: for anybody to see where that way is going to be. So the paper you you co-founded, The Independent, lives on yeah. as a um, as a website. I mean, what, what do you what do you make of it? Make of it now compared to uh, you know what it was as a newspaper.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's actually a very successful website. I think it's something like the seventh or eighth most read uh, newspaper website in, in the English-speaking world. And it's, I think, more or less double its audience since The Independent closed. Um, it's, it's, it's very successful, but um, it doesn't have an awful lot in common with The Independent, which we launched in 1986. I mean, it, you know, it hasn't got the foreign correspondence, it hasn't got the... Um, uh, the, the, the kind of detailed home specialist uh, articles which um, which the Independent used to have—it's um, just a different thing. I, mean, I remember I remember when it went when the independent class, I member Brian Cathcart, who's a you know, you know hacked-off character, said um, that it, it didn't make any difference. You know, the, the Independent closing—it was just just going into a new sphere and a new a new form—and that's simply not true. I mean, digital is, is is so different that it can't, that it, 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 it must deliver journalism in a different way. And if they were going to be profitable and if they were going to increase their audience, uh, Independent Online had to produce a paper which was going to be very different, not just from the Independent as it was launched in 1986, but the Independent as it was when it closed.
1: And then uh, the. Um Obviously, it lives on in print form, in a way, with the eye. I mean, what do you make, what do you make of that? It's another di- quite different thing. I think the eye was
2: a, a brilliant idea. When it was launched, it was a very clever idea, um, although I think it did accelerate the decline in sales of the independent. There's no doubt about that. It kind of cannibalised some of the sales of the independent because it had so much of the same content and it was um, so much cheaper. Um, I think eye is great, but, again, because it is so compressed... It, it um, it's quite a long way from the
1: independent as it was originally conceived So I was dredging I was through the Pressset archive and I looked at the um, something you were involved in in 2004 which was this idea that we could uh, launch um, an upmarket uh, well, I think it was upmarket paper called The World yeah. uh, which was a sort of Tabloid was it like like, um, like a sort of attempt at Le Monde? Yeah, well, it, whether it was going to be uh, a Le Monde
2: type, I mean, the problem with Le Monde is, as, as the Guardian has found, <laughs> there are not many. You know, you have to buy your buy presses to to print Le Monde, and um, no, I think it, I think it would have been, it would have ended up as a tabloid. Actually, we, we conceived this idea, which in retrospect seems a mad and daft idea, but we conceived it before the Independent and the Times went tabloid, and before the for the uh, Guardian uh, emerged in the, in the kind of the Le, 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 Le Berliner Monde Le shape. Uh, no, we just felt we just felt at the time that there was a gap in the market. Oh, I felt you know with a few friends, um, and for, 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 for an up market. Uh, newspaper in a tabloid form, uh, maybe there was, but of course, I mean, even, this, this was, I don't know, 2003, 2004, not that long ago, but the, 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 the newspaper world has been completely transformed and if we had raised the money, I mean, we'd, we'd actually got quite a long way, but if we had raised the money, if we, I think we can say in retrospect, it would have been pretty hard work to make it to make it succeed, though it, of course it, it, it was predicated on, on a very low cost base and, and there are newspapers, um, there's, there's one in Rome in Italy, for example, which is which is surviving on a, on, a, on a pretty low circulation. Uh, it can be done, but it's more more difficult now um, in in the digital world.
0: to find out if it's right for you.
1: The Europeans launch, is not it? and uh, um, The new Europeans, yeah. sorry. Um, which I guess has proved that it is possible to launch a print uh, print newspaper even in these straightened times. Um, yeah. what, I mean, what do you make of that? I guess it's not something politically you'd have an awful, huge amount. Um, no, it's got a cause. I, I, I don't um, print, look at it
2: uh, much. I mean, I've certainly seen it, so I can't really... Uh, make a, a sensible critique of it, but you can see you can see why it's had a limited success. I don't know, I don't know what the figures, uh, I don't know what the bottom line is, but you can see because it has a cause and it's a cause in which you know, some people passionately believe.
1: So you, you, know, you you're involved in the launch of the Independent, which, as its name suggests, was a sort of um, kickback against the uh, sort of partisan nature, I guess, yeah. of um, Fleet Street journalism. So what have you made of the um, coverage of the uh, national press coverage around the campaign? Because it, it strikes me this is a, uh, a time when uh, newspapers do rather kind of uh, lean towards propaganda, in in a sense. And, uh, you know, you can, it's certainly true around Brexit and probably yeah. true around the election campaign as well. That's true. I mean, but, but it
2: was ever thus. You know, I, I don't think that there are any more... Um, uh, Inclined towards propaganda than they were in previous elections. The difference now is, of course, that they, the, the, the circulation is has fallen so much. So the sum, which was I mean, at the time of the um, 1983 election, probably selling around from four million copies is now selling whatever it is, one point um, seven, I guess, one point seven, one point one point eight, and. Um, and that's, you know, as we know, true across the board. The question is whether online papers, um, whether the Sun online, whether the Mail online or the Independent online or the Guardian online, how powerful they are as propaganda vehicles. I suspect they're much less powerful uh, as as propaganda, as political vehicles than their their print counterparts. Um, because that's not what they're there to do. I mean, they're not. They're not. They're not usually about views, and columnists. Uh, they're about. They're about other things. So I think you know the press is as biased in one way or the other as it's ever been. It's just as much, much, much less important, and, and and social media is much more
1: important. I mean, I don't know what you think about it, but it struck me that the um, Corbyn's got you know scoriated criticism in nearly all the mainstream newspapers. Yeah, but the poll suggests he's kind of got. Gradually more and more popular over the last sort of, um, two months. That's true, um,
2: uh, and that, that, that um, and, and what is also true is that is, is that on the uh, television, which does remain a powerful force, he has been represented um, since the beginning of the campaign and a bit before in a somewhat different light. I mean, if you talk to Corbynistas, the Corbynistas think that the the BBC is biased against them, just as the the Daily Mail thinks that the BBC is biased against the Tories. I mean, they they, they believe in exactly the same way. And actually, I mean, I think to some degree both both are true, and that, that, that until quite recently, um... When he was, when he was first, first of all, when he was standing to be leader of the Labour Party, and secondly, when he was uh, forced to stand again, I think he got a very, a very bad press on on television and on the BBC. And I think that's that's changed, and the, the BBC, like everybody else, uh, has been forced to to take him more seriously. And your I mean, your paper, the Daily Mail, gets
1: yeah, it, it inspires you know utter hatred, isn't it, from the Corbynistas and people on the left, and uh, things like the enemies of the people yes. front page, and um, and some of the um, you know, more forthright uh, coverage uh, that you know, which obviously sways towards the right. I mean, do you, how, what do you, what do you, how would you respond to that in terms of people that say that the, the you know, the Daily Mail's sort of a, a propaganda sheet for, the, for uh, you know, Theresa May or whatever?
2: I responded by saying it's just one newspaper. And, um, I mean, the Daily Mail, like like all other papers, its circulation has, has, has been declining. I think there are 46 million adults in this country who can vote in the general election. And the Daily Mail readership is about... Um, about three and a half million as readership is supposed to be circulation. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's something like I don't know, it's between seven and eight percent. So between seven and eight percent of the entire adult population reads the Daily Mail. You would think to hear the criticism of the Daily Mail and to read the criticism of the Daily Mail in, in the left-wing press that the Daily Mail was single-handedly responsible for Brexit. and that the, that the Daily Mail had shaped Brexit and that without the Daily Mail Brexit wouldn't have happened. I think that's really um, pretty unlikely. I think that that most uh, Daily Mail readers were probably going to vote uh, Brexit in the first place. So uh, a majority of, um, of a minority were, there in, were, were were almost certainly inclined to vote Brexit. I'm not saying that the Mail didn't make some difference at the, at the margins, but it is accorded by its enemies um, a, a much, much bigger um, role, a much more powerful role, uh, that is actually borne out by the facts, and um, and this hatred of the Daily Mail, which you refer to, which is not universal. I mean, it's got, you know, it's got its supporters and admirers, and it is, is, I believe a very good newspaper. But this hatred of the Daily Mail has magnified enormously since Brexit. Um, I mean, gone up by sort of tenfold. I mean, the Daily Mail has never been loved in in in, in some left wing circles, uh, but. Um, it's now uh, the, the, the the detestation for the male has, has risen enormously and I would argue uh, that it is based upon a misconception of the
1: male's power. And I don't know, did you read the um, recent book about the male, male men? I did so, read it, yes. We, uh, so, um, what did you make of that uh, kind of, uh, that depiction, that it was a sort of, um, uh, some people would probably describe it as a hatchet job, but it was, fair, it was fairly uh, critical, wasn't it, of the kind of Culture of the paper, this sort of idea that it's uh... yes, I actually
2: thought I might actually reviewed it for the Spectator. I didn't think it was a hatchet job, um, uh, but uh, it was certainly critical of some figures and. Um, and it was it, it was certainly more critical of the modern mail than it was, say, of, of, of Northcliffe's mail because it was it purported to be a history of the whole Daily Mail. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just about the. I mean, only only the maybe the last half was about the mail since David English took over in ni- 1971. Uh, I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, you, people have tended to read in that what they wanted to, and, the, and critics of them. I mean, there've been multiple pieces in, in various newspapers uh, by people who, who've just seen. um uh, all all, all the all seen the confirmation of all the dark things I think about the mail. I must say, I don't I, I don't um recognize a lot of uh I mean, the mail the mail is um quite a um uh, it seems to me from you know, having written the column there. I mean, I'm not I'm not on the staff and I, I don't you know, I don't go there all the time, but although although it's a tough place and although You know, people do get shouted at. You have to observe that it keeps its staff, and people Mm -hmm. stay there. Mm -hmm. Um, And they stay there because they, on the whole, well treated, and because they think they're working for a a, a highly professional newspaper which they respect. And that didn't that that doesn't come across in in a lot of of the criticisms of the Mail. They talk about, and people don't have to work for the Mail if they think they're they're, they're not obliged to. But people do tend
1: to people
2: who work there tend to stay there.
1: So I try and I should work this out. But how long have you been writing, writing your column now for? Today? God, far too long. Um, uh, since about 1999, uh, 1998 perhaps. Yeah. It strikes right me the thing about columnists is quite quite a lot of journalists have got a few you know good columns in them. Yes. But, uh, the uh, it's not many people can you know not not about week in week out uh, over over a sustained period. Uh, well, of course you come back you come
2: back to the same column. I mean, I mean you know, you know. but. Uh, Yeah, it's true. Stamina is, 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 I suppose if you, if you, if you're trying to work out what, what you need as a columnist, I suppose just ability to go on
1: doing it, week in, week out, is, is probably just, you know, just about the most important thing. And how do you approach it? And how do you, uh, and how do you sort of go about keeping, keeping it fresh and keeping that kind of uh, energy level up, and, and the, and the necessary level of kind of, well, not outrage, but you know, enthusiasm. I guess. Yeah. I just try. I just try
2: as hard as I can every time I do it, you know. Because if you don't try, if you if you let your energy levels go down, or if you think if you get bored with it, I mean, the worst possible thing a columnist can ever, ever, can ever do is to show boredom with the subject he's writing about. Because if he feels bored. Then why on earth should readers waste their time reading? And so um, I think it's very important to keep your energy levels up, to keep your interest up, and um, and and not to
1: get complacent. Um, that, those 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 are the dangerous things. And do you get um, much? Um, I'm not sure whether you're on you're not on social media, or are you? On Twitter? I don't know. No, I don't know Twitter. No. The um, but do you get do you get much kind of. Hatred or, uh, or, you know, or, or, or praise back. I mean, that's the thing that columnists kind of get nowadays, is they get these uh, kind of loony commenters that bombard them with thousands of emails, and if you're on Twitter, you get horrendous abuse. Well, you, you get horrendous abuse, uh, which is a try totally good reason I'm not doing Twitter. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, you read, I mean, most most of my friends who are columnists no longer read, and I, I no longer read, well, nine times out of ten, I no longer read the postings below. Yeah. Below, yeah. Because... Um, one doesn't really learn much from them. I mean, either, either, either people say, "What a fantastic column, I uh, completely agree with you, or they say, "What a complete and utter arsehole you are. And, um, you know, you can only read really so much of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So um, I'm not quite sure why, 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 why newspapers... We're talking, obviously, about online. Then, and, yeah. I'm not quite sure why newspapers print that stuff. Um, because but i guess you know it allows people to let off steam and they quite often argue amongst themselves actually they quite often well, if, you, if you've, i mean as i don't i hardly ever read them now, but if you if you look at those postings quite often the column itself becomes irrelevant and they start they start sort of picking off each other and, and, and having rows <laughs> amongst themselves yeah. and the, the the actual column is completely forgotten about
1: uh, all about this sort of email feedback do you, do you do you see much of that or? People send
2: emails, but quite infrequently. And of course, people still send letters, um, but they're fewer than they used to be. Yeah. Uh, but um, I mean, not everybody, not everybody, not everybody, uh, uh, you know, uh, sends off emails. So we obviously still get letters and, and, and some
1: emails. So in the book, um, sort of bring it back to the book. It, there's not a huge amount of. Uh... Talk about sort of social media and 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 you know, I guess because I guess because the, the hero is a journalist of a slightly uh, earlier vintage, isn't he? So he he's he's more old school, isn't he? He's got his shorthand and he's got shorthand, and he he deprecates the
2: fact that that younger journalists use their iPhones to. Uh, uh, at press conferences, you know, or, you know, or when they interview, when they interview, and we've got to that bit, when, when they interview journalists, uh, they don't use shorthand. But he's, yeah, he's, an, he's a, I mean, he's not that old. I mean, he's in his, in his early forties, but he's, but he's got those skills. Um, the, the, the digital world is certainly still, certainly very much meant to be there. Um, but I don't, I just, I, I think that there, there is some tweeting towards the end. Um, there isn't tweeting, but the act, but the but uh, and the, 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 the protagonist, uh, Sam Blunt, the main character, uh, the, the guy who, who's good at shorthand, um, who's an old-fashioned r- reporter. Um, yeah, he he, he, uses, he he's quite good on the computer. He's, good, he's good, good at good at he does a lot of research on the computer. He he
1: uses his, his smartphone a lot, but no, he's not into Twitter. It's perfectly true. But as the title suggests, I guess it's the idea about the. Um romanticism of the splash of the front page is still there isn't it for journalists and even for the kind of um, the kind of cynical older hack who's who's on his way out the idea of getting that one last great front page is the thing that drives him and even makes him kind of uh, you know cut down on his drinking or whatever I mean yeah do you think uh, we could you could write a sequel, one <laughs> which, which uh, has the same romanticism about the uh, having the top story on the uh, website or? <laughs> or okay. uh, well, it's
2: not a, it's not, not. I mean, the digital world, although because you know, I read I read online st- stuff, obviously, but it's not a world I understand. You know, in, in the same way because I've been brought up in the in the old Brind world. Um, so, although there is quite a lot of the novel which is set in in in, in, in in, in bugle online rather than the daily bugle Um i can 't I can't really imagine i mean i, I can 't imagine writing a, a, a book about the you know, to be honest not a, not about the romanticism of of online newspapers, but maybe they have it you know and, and i 'm just missing something maybe somebody else will come along and write a, a book about how wonderful they are and it may be that i 'm you know being um, stick in the mud and small C conservative and that i don 't see the the joys and strengths and uh, advantages of the of digital online newspapers as, as
1: clearly as I should do. I'm perfectly happy to, to, to admit that possibility. And this is our final question, really, which I often ask people. You, how do you see the future of the um, of the industry now? Sort of, um, we've not had that many closures, have we? The independent closed, but it kind of lived on in a, in a yeah. strange sort of way. So, um, how do you see the, 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 the future of, of Fleet Street? um do you see a kind of more positive future? or
2: I don't see any newspaper closing imminently. Um, I think there will be closures along the line. Along the lines, it's, 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 one shouldn't really sort of ma- mention titles, but I think there will be, you know, five to ten years. One, one, one or two titles that will probably close. I think what we'll see until that happens is the gradual contraction of, of, of newspapers. They have fewer and fewer resources and smaller newsrooms, but they keep going... And actually, you know, if you if you walk if you know if you walked out of here and you look, looked at all the newspapers, on a, on outside a an newsagent um, and, and picked up them, went off and read them for two hours in a, in a cafe, you'd think they were pretty good, um, and, and they are they do remarkably well uh, with the resources they've got. But I think if you were to compare them with what they had. Uh, 25, 30 years ago, if you could make a comparison, you would see the comparison, and, and obviously one obvious area where, the, where there's a comparison is, is, is the decline of foreign news because foreign news is, is 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 so expensive, and that's one point I make in in the book. You know, that Sam Sam used to be a young sort of farmer, you know, going off to Africa all the time. Um, now the Daily Bugle can't afford to send him abroad. And he, he he thinks about those days and he remembers that the Daily Bugle, I can't remember the exact figures I, I quote, but that uh, 20 years ago or 25 years ago it had 10 foreign correspondents and 50 years ago it had 20. And that is of course true of uh, not just the, the middle market press, but much of the press with some exceptions like the FT who managed to maintain large um, f- a number of foreign foreign correspondents. But the decline of foreign news is the most extraordinary thing. Um, in a way, I mean, we can see why it's happened because of lack of resources. But you know, we live in a we live in a more in a, we're told we live in a more global world where we should know more about what we're doing, and yet that global world is reported a lot less than it was 50 years ago
1: when we we, we thought we were much more insular. Yeah. It's true. People are much more interested in foreign news, aren't they? The American election and the French be, election, yeah, and, yeah. and all the other things that are uh, going yeah, on. Yeah, and of course big, those big things
2: are covered. I mean, what isn't covered is the sort of second, third rank foreign story. You know, the I don't know the election in Poland or or Portugal or, or a coup in some African country, which would have you know when I, when I joined the Telegraph in '78. You know, if there, if there was a coup in a former British colony, immediately you know people would flood off and and report it. But um, now it could, you know, it could happen and, and be
1: scarcely noticed. That's very true. Well, look, thanks very much for coming in. It's a pleasure. Uh, and uh, I you know, thoroughly enjoyed the book, and uh, I, hope it's, I hope it's a big success. Trouble Thank you. Me. Thank you. Sometimes I
0: feel my